the most excellent way. And then he, he adds to everything he's already said, he said, but, but the love is a key ingredient. And he begins by saying all of these great things that you can do. He gives this list of great things that you can do. And he says, if you do all of these things, but you don't have love, you have nothing. So the formula he kind of creates is everything minus love is nothing. It's a key ingredient. And then Mario shared a, a, a great concept also that we all, I think, know is that, is that if, you if you say you have love, but then you have nothing else, there's no action behind it, well, that's not a very deep love, is it? Just saying, I love, love needs to be expressed, really, doesn't it? And then, and then Duke really shared some from, from Paul's letter that the, the, some of the, the, what it looks like to love when, when you're in a difficult relationship, when you get angry, when someone makes you mad, when they disappoint you. One person said that, that you really figure out who loves you when you're going through a hard time, right? Or, or you might have heard it like this, you really figure out who your friends are when you're going through a hard time. So how to love well when it's really hard, and, and today we're going to add a little bit to that, but I, I just want to step back and say, if you didn't know this already, uh, uh, you're gonna, uh, you, you probably uh, have, do know this, love is hard. Love's really hard. See, love is hard because love, the type of love that we're talking about, takes place in the context of relationships. And relationships are hard, which makes love hard. So love is incredibly difficult, and it is incredibly important. And so let's dig into 1 Corinthians and see if we can learn a little bit more and grow a little bit in our ability to love well. Starting in verse 6, and we'll just read verses 6 and 7. I'll go back and start from verse 4 where we were at last week. And read from there. But Paul says, love is patient. Anybody agree with that? Love is kind. Everyone say, aww. Thank you. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable, or, or another translation, it's not easily angered or resentful. And then we'll get into our text today. What I'm going to cover today is, he goes on from that and he says, Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The first thing that I want to note here in this, uh, this uh, little section that he gives on love is he's saying that love is really hard. Right? And he's saying that in this. He says, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Now, in the Greek complex, as you put that together, he's not saying this. He's not saying that love does not rejoice in doing wrong to someone. That's obvious. He's saying, actually, something much deeper, much more difficult to process and apply. He's saying, love does not rejoice when the person you're loving is doing wrong. The wrongdoing of the person. And love rejoices in the truth. 
In other words, what he's saying is, if you genuinely love someone, there's no way that you can rejoice when they're doing something that you can see is harmful to them. Because you love them. And yet, we all know this, that concept can be greatly abused. Have you ever met somebody who's, who, who, who's kind of like a, the accountability sheriff? Churches all have an accountability sheriff. I hope we don't have one. If you're the accountability sheriff, I'm speaking to you. It's not your job to go around pointing out everybody's, you know, like the laws that everyone's breaking, right? The accountability sheriff. Or you have, or you have the neighborhood watchman. Always watch. <laughs> Making sure everyone's staying straight, right? Or, 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 or kind of like the, the, the Christian narc, if you will. Right? Do you know what that guy's doing? We better pray for him, right? Yeah, you're also the gospel. The, the, the church not, right? This can be greatly abused to say, you know what, I'm just going to speak the truth. I've had people say that, they're like, I just told him the truth. It's because I love him. No, dude, you told him the truth and you were a jerk. And that's not love, right? You can do this incredibly wrong, but, but all that being said, we can make fun of this and we can all recognize this, but that doesn't negate the fact that there is something here we need to learn from. Because there is a time and place. Because love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. And so really, he, 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 we get into some deep and hard things here. And letter A in your note, love must be willing to do what is hard. Love must be willing to do what is hard. A.K.A. Love is sacrificial sometimes. Sometimes the easiest thing to do is just to kind of like avoid love. The hard part of love. And Paul's rebuking them in this letter. He's saying, no, don't do that. He says in letter A that love is not always tolerant. Wow, what a, what a, what a conflicting thing to say in our culture. Love's not always tolerant. Wait, I thought tolerance was like the greatest virtue. I thought tolerance was equal to love. We all know that that's not true, right? Because we say this, it's not loving to tolerate injustice, right? Is it loving to tolerate the human trafficking that's going on in the world? No way. Is it loving to tolerate bullies? Is it loving to tolerate if you're a parent, your kid's uh, disobedience. No. Love, in that instance, will bring discipline. Discipline is for future good behavior, as opposed to punishment is, is getting even. We discipline our kids because we love them. God disciplines us because He loves us. Love is not always tolerant. Oftentimes, love is tolerant. I'm not saying that every time we use the word tolerant, we're wrong. I'm just saying that sometimes there is a time in love to not tolerate. If you've ever had a friend that you love, and, and they're going down a really destructive path, sometimes the most loving thing is an intervention. You believe that? But love is hard. So, so love is not always tolerant, and we see this because what, what Paul is actually doing here when he says love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, he's really, uh, he's really confronting an argument that he believes that they're going to have, because in the first 12 chapters of this letter, he says some really hard things to them in love. 
He, he says, you guys are tolerating some things that you really need to deal with because you love each other. You, you keep tolerating uh, these things, these certain things, he says, it's going to infect you and it's going to destroy you as a community. So he says some hard things in this letter, which leads to my second point, which is going to be even more unpopular culturally. If love is not always tolerant, it's not the thing that you wanted to hear today, then let, look at number B. Love will at times judge, I said it, judge a brother or sister's actions. How many of you guys are like, nah, the Bible says don't judge. Don't judge. The Bible says don't judge. That's the one verse that all non-Christians know. <laughs> the Bible says don't judge me, right? No, the Bible actually says that there's a time and place to judge a brother or sister. In this context, it's talking about brother or sister meaning Christian, believer. Brother or sister in Christ. When you love someone, sometimes, most of the time, I will say this, you can get this incredibly wrong. Most of the time, there is, there is a wrong way to judge. And we do it often. A lot of times when they're saying, don't be judgmental, they're right. But we shouldn't be sheepish and think that there's never a time to do this and to do this well. As a matter of fact, you have to do this if you're going to do this and be loved. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it's probably one of the hardest chapters if you're a pastor in the Bible. It talks about an element of church discipline. Literally, there's a guy in, the, in their church who's shacking up with his, with his dad's wife. That's not his mom, so it's his stepmom. And Paul makes this argument. He goes, look, that's wrong morally. It says it in the Bible. It's clear for you Jewish people that are in the congregation, right? In Leviticus, it says that's not right. But even amongst your own crazy society. Now, Corinth, Corinthians was, was a really gnarly society, an evil, if you would say, society where sin reigned, and specifically sexual sin reigned. Because even in this, in, this, in this area of Corinth, that's not tolerated. That's not, even, that's not even politically correct in your own corrupt environment to do that. And yet, and yet this guy is blatantly doing that at your church, and you haven't done anything about it. And he goes... He goes, you shouldn't be rejoicing. He goes, shouldn't you mourn about that? Shouldn't you rather be mourning? It should break your heart that that's going on. At the end of the chapter, he, he gives them a prescription, which really you can read in Matthew 18. You should go and talk to this guy privately. That's what Jesus says to do in Matthew 18 when somebody's in sin like that. He goes, go and talk to him about it in love. And if, they, and if they repent, then you've won your brother or sister. And if they don't, and he goes through this whole prescription of if they don't, what if? Well, yeah, but what if this? What if this? Jesus answers it all the way down the line. And, and, it, and it's, apparent, it's apparent that that's happened with this guy, and he still won't repent. And they say, you need to kick him out. You need to, you need to disfellowship him with the hope that he will, he'll come to his senses and then come back and restore. And here's how he says it at the end of... Of, uh, of chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he goes, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Right? As Christians, we don't judge people who aren't Christians. Because they don't, they don't, they haven't agreed to the same, they don't follow Jesus. We don't judge outsiders. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? He says, God judges those outside, purges the evil person from among you. Is that easy to hear? Is that loving? I would argue that it is very loving. One of the good things about 1 Corinthians 
Because it's so hard is there's a 2 Corinthians, there's a sequel. <laughs> in 2 Corinthians, he gives you a praise report of, of the fruit of this behavior. Of going and, and lovingly saying, hey, look, we, we, we've, we've come to you. What we're going to say is we're going to say, you've got you to gotta be removed for a while so you can think about it and figure out, like, we're serious. It's apparent that the guy repents. He breaks it off, that relationship. He, he gets his life right, and, and, and they welcome him in, and they love him. And look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the sequel, after this is all fixed. In 2 Corinthians 2, 4, he goes, look, back when I wrote 1 Corinthians, I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know of the abundant love that I have for you. He's saying that I love you so much that I was willing to do the hard thing and say, look, what you're doing is destroying not only you, but our witness and this whole community. And, and, and I love you too much to let that happen. And he's saying, let's rejoice now that our brother has been restored to us. So lovable at times, judge a brother or sister's actions. Warning, that can be grossly abused. And we're going to, this is not the end of this conversation here. We're going to walk through that a little bit more here. But see, love will be willing to speak the truth and even let go for their best interests. In other words, love will place the good of that person above your personal ease and your personal, what you feel is comfortable with. Let me just ask you this to break it down and make it a little bit more uh, applicable. Who here hates confrontation? You raise your hand. I'm too afraid to confront the, myself and raise my hand. No, I know who you are. I raise my hand. I hate confrontation. How many of you guys love confrontation? Be honest. There's some of you out here. Don't even, I don't want to raise my hand. Come on, raise your hand. You just like I don't. It doesn't bother me. I will go tell them. I will tell that person. I'm not afraid to tell that person what's going on. You know who you are. You're bold and you are courageous. You confrontation doesn't bother you at all. Both of you need to be very careful. Look at the genius that Paul says. He goes, rejoice in the truth. If you're someone who hates confrontation, I'm speaking to you. There's a time when you need to rejoice and put truth above your personal comfort. You need to let your love be so big that it's willing to share the truth when it needs to be shared. You need to overcome your fear and speak the truth. You need to rejoice with the truth. The rest of you. You don't rejoice in wrongdoing. Matter of fact, if you've got something you need to tell someone and you're excited about it, you're not ready. <laughs> Paul says, I mourned over this. I shed tears over this. We don't rejoice in wrongdoing. If you love confrontation, you might have some issues. And if you hate confrontation, you might have some issues. And basically, we all got some issues. We got some work to do here. We need the Holy Spirit, don't we? Because this is hard. This is not easy. But it's a good conversation because it's real. If we're just going to talk about fluffy love, well, fluffy love is not the whole, the, the whole compass of what real love is. Sometimes love is really hard. And love takes place in the context of relationships. That's the next thing that Paul's going to say. And he says four things 
He goes, love does these things. He does them as all things. He does all things with these four things. Right? He goes, love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. And what he's saying is love takes place in the context of relationships. And, and love is really hard because relationships are really hard. And so here's some things about real love. Love bears all things. The first thing that you want to understand what he means, love bears all things. I remember uh, uh, hearing a story when I, was, when I was getting ready to officiate my first wedding. Someone told me this story about this kid who was the ring bearer. And so he was all prepared to be the ring bearer. And his, his, his mom said, hey, do you know what you're going to do? I got this, mom. Right? This four-year-old little Joey. I got this, mom. You can just imagine this cute little tuxedo. I'm going to be the ring bearer. So they never really practiced it because he said, I got it. And they didn't want to get all up in his business because Joey was that kind of kid. Don't tell me twice, right? I got it. And he's walking down the aisle and he starts going like this. And he thought he was going to be the ring bear. The bear. The ring bear. He didn't get it. And maybe this is not the best terminology as I'm saying. He goes, bears all things. And what are you talking about? Here's what it means. In the Greek, you take the Greek and you translate it through Ken's brain and you try to say what it, you think it means. This is what it means. Love bears all things. But someone who loves you has got your back. The Greek word is stego. If it was a building, you would, you would say the building and then you have the stego. That means the roof. The roof covers. The roof protects. In a relationship, it means something similar. It means a relationship you're going to protect. You're going to cover you're going you're gonna to have their back. Practically speaking, here's some things it doesn't mean. Love doesn't gossip. Love protects. It doesn't gossip. You know what gossip is? It's when you know the truth about someone and you can't wait to tell everybody. Because I rejoice in the truth. No, love, love doesn't gossip. Love doesn't, love doesn't speak evil about the person they love. Love, love is careful about what it says around other people. You, you know when you see this in the most ugly form? You see it in the church with gossip. And you see it in marriages with, with the this, with this speaking evil love. I, I, it makes me sick to my stomach when I'm around a bunch of guys and one of them starts saying negative things about their wife. Or, or the other way around. When, when a wife's saying, like, even if it's true... Love covers. Love doesn't do that. In a community, in relationship, love bears all things. Love's got your back. Not stabbing you in the back. It says love believes all things. What this basically means is someone who loves you will, will be that person who's your biggest fan. You have someone who, who, who just believes in you. You ever had someone believe in you? When someone believes in you, it's incredibly empowering, isn't it? And, and it turns out, what Paul is saying here, it's a key ingredient in loving one another. To believe all things. To be the biggest fan. Eager to believe the best about them. You have someone who's eager to, to believe the best about you? And to see the best in you? You know how when you, you meet somebody and, and, and do you, are, are you that type of person who sees all the bad things about them? Or sees some of the good in them and the potential in them? 
See, love is like that. It's not that love can't see the quirks. Love can see past that and see, see the good. Jesus did that for the rich young man. The disciples notice. He sees this rich young man. This guy comes up to him. And the disciples notice something about Jesus, his countenance. He said, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Saw past. Because he believes all things. That's what it looks like. Someone to be your biggest fan. Love hopes all things. This means you're willing to work it out. Hope is the future, right? I see a future in this relationship. Right now, it's hard. It has some conflict. But I hope all things. I see past the conflict. I'm willing to deal with the conflict and see past it. We're going to work through this. That's what love does. Love hopes all things. It sees a future together. Love endures all things. For you punk rock guys, you love this. Love will, will be like through thick and thin. Through thick and thin. Not just somebody who will love you when things are awesome and you're having fun and you're out partying. But someone who's going to be there when everything is washed away, when you're going through it, when it's hard. So that's what it means. Love endures now you connect these two concepts that, G, that Paul's talking about, and you start to realize something. Love will be willing to share the truth. But it needs to be in the context of relationship. In love. One of the books that I've been reading recently I think is helpful in this. It's by a guy named Scott McKnight. He, he, it's called Fellowships, the, the Fellowship of Difference. Beautiful book. Like so many different people and how to get along when, when you don't all agree and you're not all from the same whatever, you know? You're just different. Not different in a bad way, you're different in a beautiful way. Right? How to, how, to, how to live like that. And one of the sections he talks about love, and he defines love like this. This is number three. He goes, love is, love is a rugged commitment. I like that definition. That's the definition that I didn't know about until I actually went through some love. And I realized love is a rugged commitment. I learned that in marriage. Blanca's way ahead at this because she has a more rugged time being married to me than I have with her. But we both know love is a rugged commitment. And Scott McKnight says in his letter, he goes, you want to know how to love? Love is hard to define, but we all kind of have some ideas about what that is. And we have some, some teaching about what it is. But if you really want to know what love looks like, look at how God loves Israel. Look at how God loves the Son. And look at how God loves the church. That's why we say God is love. Not like Oprah says, love isn't God. Not everything you think is love is God. Love isn't God. No, God is love. He's the exact representation of what it means to love perfectly. When you look at how God loves, that's what it looks like to love God. Look at how God makes a covenant with Israel, with us, and with his son. And he points out that there's three elements that he points out in this book of, of, of what it looks like to have a rugged commitment. And the first one is love, the commitment of love is a love that is withness. Withness. Being with someone. True love takes place in the context of, of withness. Look at how God does that. But before we do that, you ever had someone come out of the woodwork because they just wanted something from you? 
You haven't heard from them in 15 years. All of a sudden, you get a phone call, and like one minute in, they're like, oh, yeah, and I just got this new exciting news. I started this new business. I want to tell you all about it. Can I come over? Right? Well, no. Where have you been for 15 years? Where's the witness? Where's the tact? Right? Where is it? So witness is incredibly important. We all know that. In the Old Testament, we see in Isaiah 41.10, it goes, Fear not, for I am with you. God is committed to witness. In Matthew 1.23, he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Our God is committed to witness. That's part of how he loves us. He came and he is with us. The second thing he notes is this. Love is committed to forness. You ever had someone believe in you? It's before you. They're just for you. You don't have a grandma like that. You come to your baseball game and you had the worst game in the whole world that she wants to buy you a Sunday and make you the MVP. That's forness. Right? You ever had somebody that's just got your back, everything else is down, everybody else fails, and they're the last man standing, or last woman standing? It's forness. Knowing someone that is for you is incredibly empowering. Knowing someone believes in you, knowing someone will stand with you through thick and thin, you start to see some of the things that, Jesus, that Paul's talking about, will bear all things with you. We'll believe all things with you. We'll hope all things with you. We'll endure all things with you. That's the type of relationship when we look at love one another that the Bible is talking about. People that love one another like that. Forness. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, we see in Jeremiah 32, 38, he says, And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. I am for them. They are mine. And I am theirs. In the New Testament, in Romans 8, it says, it says that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. He is for us. For God is for us. How many of you guys know that God is for you? How many of you guys know that God is with you? That is part of the definition of how God is loving. And then he says the last element here is this, that you'll see in the Bible, when you look at the way God loves us, we see that love is committed to untoness, is what he calls us. Untoness. I call this transformation. In other words, we've said this before, God loves you so much, he loves you just the way that you are. Because our definition of grace is this, there's nothing that you can do to make God love you anymore. And there's nothing that you can do to make God love you any less. Because he already loves you with 100% saturation. He can't love you more. If he can't love you more, then he's already loving you. He loves you completely. So there's nothing that you can do to make... So God loves you just as you are. But you know what else? He loves you way too much to let you stay that way. He's committed to untoness. He's committed to your growth. And we see that because in, in, in Mark chapter 1, 
Jesus invites his first disciples, and they're going to be the first of many. We are along that same line. It's the same invitation that he gives to us, you can say. He says, follow me, and I will... Start to catch on if you, if you know what, where, how this verse ends. Follow me, and I will make you become... I'll make you become fishers of men. The word become is the word untoness. It's transformation. In Philippians 1 6, it goes, You can be confident in this. How many of you guys need some confidence today? You can be confident of this that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Because God loves you, He is committed to your untoness. And here's the last thing that, that Scott McKnight says He says, The order matters a lot. And we'll have the worship team go ahead and come back up. The order here matters a lot. The first thing you need to know is that you need to be with somebody in order to be for somebody, in order to be committed to their untoeness. If you skip that and you're just committed to their untoeness, you come across as a jerk. I am the accountability sheriff. But I have no relationship with you, but I have no problem telling you everything that I can see that you need to work on. You've got to be for somebody and with somebody. And that process creates an environment of love that's incredibly powerful. And God uses it to transform you. It's kindness that leads to repentance. That's basically what that verse means. It means if you're not willing to be with somebody. So here's a couple of things. Just Kenny's rules, Kenny's thoughts. Maybe there's a little bit of a generalization. Maybe you could come up with a scenario that this doesn't fit, but I think these are, are basically pretty good advice. If you're not willing to take the time to build a relationship with somebody, be very careful before you think it's your role to speak into their life. If you're not committed to building a relationship with somebody, be very careful before you start hearing God's voice tell you you need to go speak truth to their life. Because guess what? You don't know what phase of the tear they're in. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know where they've been. You don't know how far they've already come. You only know what you know. And you know nothing. So you need to be very careful before someone comes in and you go, you know what, you need to change your dress. Oh yeah, because you know what I've gone through? And, and you start to hear their story, you're like, oh, I was so wrong. Take the time to get to know people. Love listens in relationship as it speaks. So if you're not willing to take the time to build a relationship with someone, it, it might not be your place to speak correction in their life. Lastly, are you really doing this for their best interest or is it more of your pet peeves? In other words, are you really for them or is it just bugging you? Because guess what? God didn't require that you change everything that's a matter with you before you follow Him. And so we can't require that. Do you rejoice in the truth when somebody has a victory in their life? Are you rejoicing with, with the great things that's going on? Or are you still just all you see is the stuff that this is to be dealt with? How far have I gone? You changed the wrong thing. Yeah, you changed three things about you. 
But you didn't change this one. It's the most important to me. Ready? Are you sure that this is the next step for this person in the transformation that God is doing with them? Right? Is this the best next thing? No, you should really stop smoking. Actually, you might want to um, deal with the whole sin thing because they're not even Christian. It turns out the gospel is you can't go to heaven just because you stop smoking. No, the next step for them is what? It's probably a lot of other steps, right? And how do we learn that? Oh yeah, you have the context of relationships. These are hard things. And I, and I, I know that I know that, that the Lord has been speaking to me about these things. There's no way you can cover every element of how to love one another. Matter of fact, that's why it's such a broad thing, it's the greatest commandment, right? Love. All of it's summed up in this love God and love one another. You're gonna deal with all of it in one day, we're gonna be here a long time. You don't even want to listen to me for this one. Right? So what I'm just asking is 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 you to maybe ponder a little bit. Let's take a moment. I put some questions up on the board. We're gonna have some music uh, without any words for a while. It's time to, to reflect, to pray, to maybe think, what does God want to say to you? What's the next thing that God's doing in you first as we grow in a community that just desires to love God?